Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. You are now listening to the 259th episode of the podcast, so I have a few things to cover before we get into the meat of this week's episode. First and foremost, we are less than a week away from episode 260. That's what happens when a podcast comes out every week. You can just go by numbers. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any accusations, then let me know, Matthew at castingacross.com. If you follow me on social media, in which I'm not particularly active, less and less as the days go by, in fact, um, then, then let me know. If you have a comment about something that I've mentioned on the podcast, if you have a question about something that I've written, if you want clarification, or if you have a completely parallel uh, opinion or even a perpendicular opinion, then do let me know. I'd love to mention it next week on the podcast. I always have a half dozen or so that I'm ready to talk about, but if yours comes in at the last minute as a dark horse comment and it surges to the front, then you're going to get mentioned and uh, we'll, we'll address yours on air. And I enjoy doing that because uh, it's fun to just kind of talk through something that I would normally write out in, you know, just a concise little email. So that's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is uh, we are doing something different today on the podcast. So I've been doing some different stuff over the last few months. I've enjoyed it, just setting a, not necessarily a precedent that things are just going to be different, but uh, just trying some new things because I have some thoughts about uh, ways that I can take the podcast and different ways to approach the quarry and culture of fly fishing. So today what I'm doing is actually going back into the archives of Casting Across to bring to you some of my top reviews. I usually don't do gear reviews on the podcast. I do gear reviews on the website every now and again. It's not something that I would say is all over the place on Casting Across because I'm pretty particular about what I review. There's, there's a few things, and I've mentioned this before on podcasts about gear reviews, actually. First and foremost, um, I only like to talk nice about stuff. So that doesn't mean that I make things up about things I don't like. That means I usually don't talk about things I don't like. Um, I, I just don't really want to get into that space of being really critical about stuff. Now, that being said, if you say, hey, um, have you had any experience with brand X of rod in this model? And I have, and I haven't liked it. I will tell you, uh, no problem doing that. I just don't want to get into that on the website or on the podcast. So that's one thing. That doesn't mean I don't mention the downsides or the negatives of a particular uh, piece of gear or something else in fly fishing. 
it's just if I'm really anti that thing, um, I'm just gonna tell the manufacturer, tell whoever you know gave it to me to review. It. I say, you know what, I just I'm I'm not gonna do that. I've had it happen a few times, even in the last few months, where uh, people have brought me stuff and I've said, you know what, I just I, I'm not gonna review this because I have some significant issues with the quality, the price versus the quality, things like that. So uh, that that's the first thing. And the second thing uh, about reviews, and and I think today's podcast is definitely gonna bear this out. I don't mention how I received this. Now, some people have significant kind of ethical qualms about not stating outright if I bought this at full price, if I bought this at a discount, if I was given it for free, if I was given it to use, and then I had to give it back. Personally, my opinion on this is I I want my integrity as an author, as as a writer, and as a person to speak for itself, and uh, hopefully that irrespective of how I came across this item. Some of the things I'm going to talk about today I've had for over 20 years. So why am I reviewing it? I'll talk about that. But uh, I don't think it really matters if I, I got it because I was working on a fly shop 20 years ago or if I paid full price because uh, I was a you know a, a college student 20 years ago or wh- whatever it may be. So uh, that's something that you may have an accusation about. So feel free to let me know. But I've talked about that issue and written about that issue over the years. So that being said, we're about four minutes into the podcast, and I am going to be talking about uh, some pieces of gear that I have not only really enjoyed using, but that you have enjoyed reading about, and you is being used generally. There's a very good chance that you haven't read about it, but for example, I've had tens of thousands of people read about my review of the Reddington Butterstick. And so I'm going to go through today, um, really just depending on time, I'm going to keep my eye on the clock of the, uh, the the software I use to record, and I'm going to go through maybe three, four, or five different items that I've reviewed that have risen up the ranks of the views of castingacross.com. So this might become a semi-regular feature that I do every uh, 10 or 12 episodes or so, but uh, it, it just gives me an opportunity to talk through maybe in some anecdotes of of, of pieces of gear, which again, is this so that you can necessarily go out and buy this thing? Well, maybe, but more often than not, and this is what I hear and see as these articles go up on the website is that people then say, yeah, I fished with that 20 years ago too. I still fish with it. And it's kind of a fun thing to, to think about how, how we have this parallel experience. So to, to get it started, the, the top review, the top review that, that I have on the, the website over the nearly eight years of casting across is the Reddington Butterstick. So the Reddington Butterstick is made by Reddington. Reddington is owned by Farbank, and they have Sage and Rio, and Reddington are all under their umbrella, along with a few other smaller companies. Uh, but Reddington is a uh, company that's kind of bounced around in the, the years that I've been fishing, and uh, now they are under the Farbank umbrella, and uh, they, they make really good products. I really enjoy using Reddington stuff. I think their cost-to-value uh, ratio is fantastic. Uh, I, I really enjoy the aesthetic that they bring to the table. I really like how they make quality gear that is approachable for new anglers and anglers that want to have a diverse range of gear without breaking the bank. And the butter stick um, really made a splash. It seems like maybe 10, 12 years since the first generation came out. And so we are now on the third generation butter stick. So there was the yellow uh, version of the butter stick. And then the second generation was the white butter stick. And now it's back to a yellow again. And the butter stick is a fiberglass fly rod. And this review 
um, if, if you were to go on the website and put it right into Butterstick, you'd see a number of articles because I've, I've reviewed different generations. But the very first time I wrote about it, I wrote about the aesthetics of the second generation, and it had this real retro vibe, and it kind of was the, the thing that would draw you in, particularly if you were, you know, maybe born in the 80s or 90s, and, and you kind of had this longing uh, uh, towards uh, what, what came before. But all that's to say, the article that I wrote called A Real Review of the Reddington Butterstick uh, spent time out on the stream with this uh, Generation 2 uh, fly rod. Uh, I use the four weight. I if you have the one weight. Uh, I think they're both fantastic fly rods. What I really like about the Reddington Butterstick, along with a lot of other contemporary fiberglass fly rods, is that you get all the benefits of that feel, that slower casting stroke. Um, as well as just that bend. And I've talked about before how the bend is, you know, neither here nor there, but it is a, a lot of fun um, in, in the grand scheme of things. But how these contemporary glass blanks, and there's certainly much more sophisticated blanks that you'll pay much more for uh, that can do a lot more things. But for the price, for a couple hundred bucks, uh, the Reddington Butterstuck really, really performs. So again, like I said, there's a number of articles on there, I, and I have the um, the, the, the most contemporary generation butter stick as well. Uh, they've gone back to the yellow color, and this is, I believe, in the four weight is the one I have. It's also in a four piece, which which is nice. But the second generation butter stick, um, writing about that rod was a lot of fun because it was kind of at the peak of this glass is not dead wave started by the fiberglass manifesto. And certainly there's many, many other people on this fiberglass forums, and all these other stuff that really are just diving back into it. You know, as I sit here and I speak, I'm in my office, I'm looking at one, two, three, four, five fiberglass fly rods, all from the 60s and early 70s. Um, some of them I fish with, some of them I just look at, and some of them I just kind of play with while I'm on the phone with people. Um, and I really enjoy using these old, you know, Fenwick Fairlights. I really enjoy using my Orvis Superfine Glass. I really enjoy using my butter sticks. They are just a nice change of pace. And what I find fiberglass does, and, and I think this is a, a, a really valuable reason to maybe buy a fiberglass rod, if you have a perfect rod and you absolutely love using a four weight on your small stream and you feel like, you know what, I don't necessarily need a three weight, I don't necessarily need a five weight, this four weight is great, but it would be kind of fun to have another rod, it'd be fun to switch it up, then get a four weight fiberglass rod. If you're fishing with a four weight graphite, then get with a four weight fiberglass. And and you can now go back and forth if you know you're going to be fishing dry flies more often than not. If you know you're going to be fishing lighter lighter nymph rigs without weight, if you know you're going to be fishing smaller streamers where you don't need a, uh, a, a bigger, um, you know, a, a bigger, more powerful rod. Not to say that the fiberglass rods can't do that, but it uh, it certainly would be a great reason to try a rod. And by all means, go out and cast the butter stick. I wholeheartedly recommend every generation. I think I'm a little bit partial to the most contemporary generation. Um, there's components a little bit nicer. Aesthetics are really, really good. And having it in four-piece is is great. And you don't compromise on uh, the, the feel or the, the casting of that rod. So uh, Reddington's butter stick was the, is the most viewed uh, uh, fly rod or just gear review in general on casting across. The next one, and this is where things really take a big turn, uh, is for my favorite fly rod that I own. Now, I own um, some custom-made bamboo fly rods that top you know, the, the four digits as far as their, their cost goes. Um, I own some really cool antiques that have been fished by men that I fished with when um, uh, I, I was fishing in Pennsylvania. Uh, I am fly rods that are owned by my grandfathers. I have, I have some rods that I really enjoy. I have some really high-end rods, some, some just really nice stuff. But probably my favorite rod to fish with, um, if you said, hey, you're going to go trout fishing um, and you know it's going to be a, a medium to large river, 
I'm going to go and pick my Orvis uh, T3, 8.5-foot, uh, 5-weight in medium flex. And I absolutely love this rod. Now, the Orvis T3, and I can't remember the language behind the marketing, and, and but, but what it says is that it utilized a ceramic binding um, in the graphite. And so the theory was this was a very lightweight way to add some uh, rigidity, but also a quicker uh, response time. So one of the things that you want in a fly rod uh, is, is you want that thing to track well. So uh, you want it to have the rigidity so that when you are casting, it stays on the same plane. You don't want it moving kind of like in a figure eight style on its own. You're automatically going to be doing that as you make motions with your arm and with your hand. You don't want the fly rod to wobble at a, kind of a, a smaller micro level uh, throughout the arc of the cast because you are reducing the power and the, the force and the energy that you're creating as you are going back and forth if that thing's also moving side to side. Again, it's going to happen automatically because of the your, your arm and because you're moving a flexible material, but the less that that rod contributes to that, the better. And that was part of the the um, the, the reasoning behind uh, the, adding that ceramic binding to the, uh, the graphite of the T3. But this rod came out, I think, in 2000, maybe 2001. And uh, I, I remember I fished with one model of it for a few weeks and because uh, I was working at, at an Orvis store and uh, then the, this this mid mid flex action came out and I uh, took it out and I went to this uh, trout stream that that I really enjoyed fishing a big wide smooth calm uh, pool that had uh, trout rising to midges on it and I just remember roll casting not the best technique for for fishing midges but uh, I had uh, obstructions behind me so I had to uh, and I just remember this thing pushing that line out in this beautiful smooth circle that unfolded and dropped that midge out where I wanted it. I don't even know if I caught a fish I just remember the cast was beautiful I thought okay this is the one I want and this is back when Orbis had a variety of flexes within one line of rods and I think that's an absolutely phenomenal thing you see other rod companies that do things like that now um, but, they, but they will give different flex profiles different names but I really liked how Orbis had uh, in their different uh, lineups of rods uh, where you could pick if you want something faster or something medium something slower things like that but I'm not the boss, so no one's asking me. But the, the T3 is a wonderful rod, um, and it's, again, something that you know, thousands of people have read about and have had dozens of comments on uh, on the article on the website. But what this goes to show is that as, as modern technology creates faster, lighter, stronger, better, things like that, we are talking um, minuscule differences from what the best was 20 years ago. I have new fly rods that I cast and I really enjoy and I really uh, like the feel of them. But I, I like this unique fly rod that used some unique uh, aspects and components um, and construction techniques. And I, I can't deny the fact that there's also a significant part of it that has to do with comfort level, has to do with nostalgia, has to do with the fact that I have settled into this groove of really enjoying this fly rod. Um, so th this is a great example of a a fly rod that has met needs for me over the long term that I have truly enjoyed. And if if it busted today, there's no you know like one to one of, for me to go out. Orvis is not making this fly rod anymore. They haven't made it in probably 15 years. Um, so whatever my replacement would be would be uh, inferior um, in one specific uh, aspect, and that is it, it's not that rod. Um, now, I might, my 25-year guarantee is, is probably about up right now, um, but I'm sure they would do, do right by me if something were to happen here in these, these waning years of owning that rod. But really cool rod. 
um, has been with me all over the place. It is because it's an eight and a half foot rod, uh, because it is a four piece, it does fit in my carry on luggage. So it will go with me. It's traveled with me um, out of the country. Um, it has been with me out West. It is just the rod and it, I've paired it with a number of reels. Um, and I have kind of just, you know, my allegiance to those reels has come and gone. Uh, but what, uh, what has always stayed is, is that fly rod. So the Orvis T3, beautiful little rod, just beautiful little up blocking reel seat. Um, really nice color. It's kind of a, um, an olivey tan with lighter wraps. It's just a, an awesome fly rod. So, uh, you can, you can check out that, uh, throwback gear review. I've done a number of those and those will never really come up here in the, if not this podcast in, in others in, in this series. So mentioned the Reddington Butterstick, mentioned the Orvis T3, another article that got thousands of reviews, and this one was, or thousands of of, of, um, of views, uh, thousands upon thousands of views, is from Finest Fly Tying Benches. Now, I tie flies. I'm not a fly tire. I'm, obviously, if you've, you've tuned into Casting Across, you know that I will mention fly tying here and there. I'll write articles about it every once in a while. It's just not something that I do all the time. It's something I do out of necessity. It's something I do with my kids. Um, I'll do a lot of it after fly tying shows because I'll see something new. I'll buy something new and I'll go after it. Um, but then otherwise, it's like, all right, my box needs to be filled up. So I'll do it at the beginning of the season and I probably won't touch it unless necessity strikes until, um, you know, either the kids ask me to do it or I, I get to the end of the season and I need more flies or I'm doing it in the off season. That being said, um, I don't have a table that I tie on. I don't have my own desk. So I've always used little fly tying benches. I got one at uh, Bass Pro Shop probably again, you know, 20 years ago. It's it's I had this little tiny one uh, for for decades. Well, I uh, met a gent who makes them in Colorado, and his uh, company is called Finest Fly Tying Benches, and these things are works of art. Not only are they works of art, but they are infinitely customizable with incredibly cool and user-friendly features. I mean, everything from little swing-out plates for you to place your beads and your hooks um, to little cups where you can place um, other components, uh, all sorts of different customizable options for if you have just, I mean, gobs and gobs of thread, if you have lots of different UV um, jars, if you have a, a ton of different tools, then you can customize that bench and he will build you what you need. Uh, left-handed, right-handed, depending on what style of vice you have, that you can put a different base on there for you, uh, different, again, swing out arms for not only tools, but also for uh, materials, uh, larger materials, smaller materials, stuff that you can have drawers so that you can have you know your nicer hackles right on hand. Um, places for lights, places for cameras, uh, you name it, magnification, uh, anything that you want, he can do it. And then he can do it in different wood styles. He can, uh, he can use multiple wood styles. He can engrave things. He can put pictures and he can add color. I mean, the, the possibilities are endless. And, uh, I actually just really enjoyed, uh, you know, kind of getting my little bench exactly how I like it. And, you know, they're kind of um, billed as being laptop. I wouldn't do it on my lap, but I can take it like my lap. I don't use my laptop computer on my lap. Uh, take it to my desk, take it to the kitchen table, take it up to the countertop, take it down to, you know, take it outside. And uh, everything that you need um, is, is, is at your fingertips. Um, the model I have is large enough that it's not the kind of thing I would travel with, uh, but the, there are travel models, but it is, it is the kind of thing where, um, it gives me everything I need. I've got all of my tools, 
all of my threads, all of my epoxies, all of that sort of stuff um, on this little bench along with my vise. Make a nice little work surface so I can kind of stage things out, have some clips where I can put things. Um, oh, the other thing that's cool is he, he makes these uh, uh, little holes that have these little clips so you can actually display flies along the back of your tying bench, which I think is just, just really cool. I mean, you can use it to dry your flies, but there's other options. He has little, you know, board out holes for you to hang your, your hooks to, to dry your flies, but you can have a little display section. Um, but uh, if, if I have a, a little Tupperware with, um, well, you know, Tupperware shelving that I have my materials in, and then I have this, so I can store that away, squirrel it away, bring it out and use it, and everything is at my fingertips. And it's just a very concise, tight little package, and it's pretty. I mean, it looks nice. As long as you keep your stuff orderly, it's the kind of thing you probably leave out, and no one would necessarily complain because it's just really, really quality workmanship. I mean, it really is the kind of thing that I'm sure my kids will be using, um, you know, when, when, when I let them have it because it's just such solid quality work. And so that review is called Finest Fly Tying Benches, Everything in Its Place. And uh, the, the guy behind it is an excellent guy. Um, he will work with you to give you exactly what you need. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's a really cool thing about some of these companies. So I just went from Orvis to this small company, Finest Fly Tying Benches of Colorado. Now, I think they're both great companies, and they both have people who are dedicated to creating things that are by fly fishers for fly fishers. Um, but you have a diversity of perspective of large company and small company and how they both are valuable within the fly fishing world. And there's inevitably things that are in your gear closet in the back of your truck right now that come from really big companies and they come from really small companies. But when it boils down to it, it's all still fly fishing. Even the big conglomerates. I mean, there's a couple of these fly fishing companies that are owned by big outdoor companies. But there's still people who are boots on the ground who are doing R&D. And by doing R&D, that means that they are waist deep in a river, tinkering with prototypes, thinking about ways to make things better, either incrementally or in a revolutionary way. And so that's one of the reasons why I enjoy talking about gear. Yes, I've had great experiences with things. These, these two fly rods and this one fly tying bench I mentioned on today's podcast are things I've really enjoyed using and I continue to enjoy using. But for every one of these things, I've had conversations with the people who are behind them. And for me, that adds an extra little something. Now, is that something that everybody uh, in fly fishing is going to have that uh, opportunity to do? Well, in one sense, yeah. I mean, you show up at a fly fishing show. That's where you're going to talk to these people. You're going to be talking about the people who pick the colors of the wrap for the butter stick. You're going to talk to about the guy who remembers, um, you know, uh, working with the engineers to put together uh, this new composite for the Orvis T3. You're going to talk to the guy who makes the benches for finest fly tying benches. You'll have those conversations and it works and it adds something. Does it turn into more fish? No, I make no bones about that. But it does add something to where you understand that this fly fishing community, um, add something to, to fly fishing. Uh, fly fishing gear adds something to fly fishing. It doesn't mean catching fish, but it adds something to it. It's something that we can all appreciate. And again, that's why you're listening to Casting Across. What I talk about is the quarry, the fish, but also the culture of fly fishing, the people, places, and things. So that's my three top reviews. So those three articles, I mean, got head and shoulders, um, thousands and thousands and thousands of views more than, than most. So uh, go check those out. Um, I'll put uh, links to them on this podcast show notes over at uh, castingacross.com. 
Speaking of the website, uh, what happened this week? Well, that's a good question. So this week, two articles. One's called How to Find a Fly Shop. So this is, once more, I uh, um, am, am promoting my fly shop box, my fly shop directory. Uh, but also, once you find a fly shop on the website, how do you figure out if this is going to be your fly shop? How do you figure out if this is going to be a good fit for you? So talk about that, especially as we're getting into these doldrums uh, of, of um, you know, winter, late, late fall, winter, early spring. We get excited about fly fishing. There's some real productive ways to participate in the fly fishing world by being linked up with a fly shop. So I write about that in that article. Wednesday's article is called The Last Thing I Need. And actually, right now, I'm looking at the live version of the picture of the header of that article. It's a bunch of skiing equipment in my office. Because guess what? Taking on a new hobby. Why would I do that? Do I have the time? Do I have the money? Do I have the interest? Do I have the energy? The answer to all those things is no. However, I'm doing it anyway. So the last thing I need is still something I'm doing. Why is that? And why might you do that? So you can check out that article and uh, you'll have a little bit of info uh, uh, as to why I'm descending into one more activity. This week's review on the podcast is, uh, it's, I mean, I don't need to tell you to buy Yeti stuff. You either want to or you don't want to. Uh, I, I'm holding in my hand right now a Yeti tumbler. It's kind of their, their normal size, stainless steel. And why am I talking about something that's probably one of the most popular things in the world, right? Um, I ran it over with my car. It actually fell off my car, and then I ran it over, okay? So the cup itself has got some nice little road rash on it. The The lid looks like it's been gouged in a few places. And the mag magnetic closure, I lost it for about a month. I actually got online, ordered a new, a new lid, and as I was jogging that next day, I went by where I ran this thing over. I put it on the top of my car, pull the driveway, and by the time I got up to like 30 miles an hour, I hear this bang, and I see it spin around behind me. Well, the magnetic closure shot off, and I couldn't find it. Then I had to get to work, so I said, you know, it is what it is. Had my kids go look for it, told them they'd give them $5. They couldn't find it. So I'm jogging the day after I order a new magnetic closure. And I think, wouldn't it be funny if I saw this thing? And I saw it. It's right there in front of me. I mean, this Providence works that way, right? Um, it's just just gouged up and just scratched to pieces, but it works. And I mean, there's something to said for, be said for that. I mean, I've I've really busted up some stuff in, in my day. And you think, oh, I could still use it. And you can't use it. Uh, for what it's worth, man, uh, this Yeti cup is taking a licking and keep on ticking. I mean, it doesn't have to do a lot. You know, it's to hold hold water and not leak, but it's doing that. I mean, the seals are still tight. The gasket is holding. The magnetic slider is doing its job even after it was outside getting run over, over and over again for a month. Um, so you might say, oh, it's ridiculous to spend $30 in a cup. And, you know, it, it, it might be, but again, this one was a gift and uh, a gift that I ran over, but it is still working strong. So just for fun, I'll put a link to this Yeti cup. You, it, it has a really cool uh, Remedy Provisions brook trout sticker on the side of it, which uh, may be added to its invulnerability. But I'll put a link for this on the show notes to the podcast's page over at castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.
Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.